Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. As our series on the family and the church continues, we are joined by the Reverend Dr. Ed Glover. Pastor Ed will be preaching on the impact each of us can have on the life of a child. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Christ Church is always a pleasure and privilege to open up the Word of God to all of you. It's great to be together, you know, in, in the house of, of the Lord. And it's great to see all your faces. I haven't been here for a little while. I've been running around preaching at different places. But I, it's always good to come back and preach in your home church. You know what I'm saying? So it's great to be here with you. You know, the Lord loves you. Us pastors, we love you. And I believe and trust that you're loving one another. We're going to be talking a little bit about that. But you've read, you know, Jamie did a fantastic job reading the scriptures already. And you know it's found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. But the title of our sermon is called... It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. You remember that when you were growing up? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Who said that? Mr. Rogers. But Jesus said it first. Here we go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you told us to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and might, and love our neighbor as ourselves. So we come here today knowing that you've also commissioned us to fulfill the Great Commission. So we're to go out and be good neighbors. We're to go out and make neighbors. Love them. Be kind to them. Get the right and the opportunity to communicate and demonstrate the gospel. So today we come to the word, Lord, and we ask you to forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. And you would speak through me to your people. And we as your people wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of it. We wouldn't just be stirred but that we would be changed. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In the first century, when the church first began, they truly, truly created a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Look Look what is happening in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe. At the many wonders and signs performed by the, by the apostles. Notice it says everyone. Everyone was experiencing the presence and the power of God in their lives. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Everyone were locking arms. Everybody was locking arms. They were in lockstep with one another. They were a band of brothers. There was unity among them. Look at verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Everyone's needs were being met. Not everyone's wants, but everyone's needs. Look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Everyone, every day, was experiencing the love and the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a beautiful day in the neighborhood. But it doesn't stop there. Look what else is happening. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. What does this mean to praise God? They were thanking God for who he is and what he's done for them. And because they were praising God, they were people who were celebrating and rejoicing. They began to get favor, not only from those in the church, but outside the church in the community. And because they created this beautiful place in the neighborhood, what happens? God began to multiply them. Look at verse 47. The Lord added daily to their number who were being saved. Man, how would you like to be part of that? Wouldn't it be exciting? Every day somebody's coming to know Jesus Christ. You know, as I sat and thought and prayed over this message and looked at those verses, I was thankful for what Christ Church is doing 
You, you are doing some wonderful, powerful things in this community as well as down in the city and around the world in your communities. But I can say that I don't think we're doing this. I don't think we're seeing people being saved every day. So we can get better. We, we can... We need to, I kept asking the Lord, what can we do? What should we be doing as Christ Church so that we can create a beautiful day in the neighborhood and see people getting saved day after day? What do we need to do? He took me to verse 42. He said, this is what they did, Ed, back in the first century church. They were committed to four things. Verse 42. Four things. The word, fellowship, communion, and prayer. We'll break down that whole verse for you. The word, say it with me. The word... And prayer. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they were devoted to the Word of God. The early believers knew that just like our bodies need food in order to be healthy, they knew that the, our spirits needed the Word of God in order to grow. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, the apostle Peter writes this. He says, Like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. He knew the importance of emphasizing the word of God. How we need to be devoted to the word. Also, the Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? By knowing and applying God's word. Can you say that with me? By knowing and applying God's word. In the scriptures, I've taught you this before, it makes it very clear that there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world. Kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world, it tells us in the scriptures, is set up and organized to oppose the kingdom of God. It's there to promote attitudes, behaviors, and a lifestyle that is absolutely contrary to the way that God desires us to live. So the Apostle Paul is saying, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What's he saying? Do not allow the world to press you into its mold. Do not allow the world to get you to carry out its attitudes, its behaviors, and its lifestyle. How do you counter that? You counter that by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul knew that what a person thinks they will become. Garbage in, garbage out. Truth in, truth comes out. The Bible says what you sow, you will reap. If you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. When did it begin? It begins in your mind. The Apostle Paul in all of Scripture tells us that the battle is for your mind in the minds that you love. There's the battle. And the only way that you are going to have victory in this battle is if you are devoted to the Word of God. We need to be people of the book. You know, throughout Scripture it tells us that, but also Christ Church has designed itself that way. We put, listen, Sunday school. Sunday school is there to be in the Word of God for your children, young adults, teens, all of us. Sunday school. We have different opportunities throughout the week that you can be in a Bible study. All you got to do is go online. There's a number of things going on in the church that you can be involved in the Word of God. But let me just ask us as parents, is there any time in your family, in your week, in your day as a family that you sit down 
and you read the Word of God together? Are we spending any time with each other? Reading, learning, understanding. The Bible makes it very, very clear. You're not going to win the battle for your minds if you're not renewing them with the Word of God. So, it also tells us this in the Scriptures. It tells us that we not only need to be feeders of ourselves in the Word, but we need to feed others. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said that we are to go and make what? Disciples. That means that we're not just to be a disciple, we're to make disciples. So it's one thing for you to feed yourself the Word of God, but the whole purpose, the whole purpose of the church is not just to feed yourself, but to what? Feed others. To take what you've learned and impart it to someone else. Let me ask you a question. Who are you, when you're in the Word, learning and studying, are you investing in? Where are you going to take what you've learned and impart it to others? Young people. Are you going down into the children's department and and teaching anything to anybody? Are you having Bible studies anywhere, anyhow, with anybody? Young people, yes, but how about all, all of us adults? Where do we go that we begin to impart what we've learned to someone else? Jesus made it really clear. Be disciples that make disciples. If you're not doing that, you're not in the will of God. So he tells us, so this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says to two of his disciples, he tells Timothy and Titus this. He says, Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and to the teaching. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life, doctrine, closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself in your hearers. Then he says to Titus, chapter 1, verse 9, an elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Throughout the scriptures there, it's teaching us over and over again, we take in to give it out. We're not just takers, we're givers. We feed ourselves so that we can feed others. Where are we doing that in our homes? Where are we doing that in the church? Where are we doing that in our communities? You know, the church is not and never has intended to be a spectator organization. Never has. It's never been an entertainment center. It's always been a place of multiplication. Always. To multiply ourselves. That's why we're here. Faithful men and women being taught so that they can go out and teach others. All through the scriptures, that is very clear. So we need to be devoted to the word of God, individually as well as a group of people. So that we're sharpening iron, sharpens iron, so that we can raise up disciples that make disciples, so we can stay on the mission. Second thing that he calls the church to do, and they're obedient to do it, They're devoted to do this is fellowship. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And if we will hold true to the word of God and begin to fellowship, we will create a beautiful day in the neighborhood. When we talk about fellowship, what is fellowship? Is it hanging out in the foyer and talking to one another before church or after church? How about going out in the cafe and having lunch together how about meeting with each other in our homes or somewhere in the mall and having a meal or shopping together yeah all that is fellowship but that's not all that fellowship is 
True Christian fellowship isn't just socializing with one another. It's part of it, but what it's all about, hear me, what it's all about is devoting ourselves to encourage one another in the faith. Say that with me. To encourage one another in the faith. It's good to talk about football. It's good to talk about what you bought last week, the colors of the wall. To go talk, all those things are good. What you're going to paint your house, what, you, what you're going on vacation, all that's good. But if we're not encouraging one another in the faith, we're not having fellowship. Now look at this. When the scripture tells us that we're to have fellowship, I want you to look at our passage again. It says, it actually uses the word fellowship, but in the Greek it literally means koinonia. Koinonia has four basic meanings. Number one, having spiritual togetherness. In other words, you, you can't have true fellowship if the, if the brother or sister that you're dealing with isn't in the Lord. So once you become born again of the Spirit, you can have true fellowship with one another. In Christ Jesus. Second, you share something in common. All of us met Jesus Christ at the foot of the cross. We were all lost, but now we're found. We all serve one Lord. That's what we have. When you have true fellowship, there is unity. You lock arms with each other. Because you all know that you were lost, but now you're found and you serve one God. One Lord. Third thing that happens is you partner with one another. You lock arms for a purpose. And that purpose is to love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself and to fulfill the great commission. We need to create a good place where neighbors, a beautiful place in the neighborhood. And that happens when we gather together, when we're encouraging each other in the faith. And the last thing is we need to be a good teammate. You know what they were doing in the first century? They were, they were fulfilling the 59 one another's in the scriptures. In other words, I don't have all time to go through all those 59, but let me say some of them. We are to pray for one another. We are to serve one another. We are to love one another. We are to forgive one another. We are to, forget, we are to care for one another. We are to carry each other's burdens. On and on in the scriptures. You can't do that if you're not building relationships. And I'm not just talking about your family right now. A lot of us maybe do that inside our families. But how about in the family of God? Who do you know here? That you're building into and they're building into you in that way. Where is that taking place? Listen, the church has never been a group of people, especially in the first century, that were spectators. Didn't happen. They were not part-time attenders to church. They were doing life together. Look at it. In verse 46, it says this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They locked arms. They were living life together. How'd they do that? In verse 46, it gives, an, gives us insight. The very beginning, it says, they worship together regularly in temple courts. Now remember, that word right there isn't, I should say this first, isn't singular, it's plural. Notice it says courts. In other words, in the first century, how many people came to know Christ in the book of Acts when Peter walked out of the house? 3,000, right? 3,000 people came. Scholars tell us that they didn't count men and women. So most likely there's probably between seven to 10,000 people that came to know Christ. So when they went to the temple court, could you imagine putting in 10,000 people in this room? Couldn't do it. So they spilled out to the courts and they continued to worship. They continued to preach the word of God. They continued to pray. It was fantastic. But they knew that true fellowship wasn't going to happen in that big crowd. So what did they do? 
They broke them down. Look at look what it says in verse 46. They not only worshiped together, but what did they do? They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They broke that group down into small groups. Small groups where they were having fellowship with one another. So they, they could get to know each other. So they could be discipled and disciple. Where iron sharpens iron. You can't do, listen, you can worship in a crowd. But you can't fellowship with one. When it comes to true Christian fellowship, small, smaller is better. Matter of fact, experts tell us this, that once a group gets beyond 12 people, someone stops participating. It's interesting that the Lord Jesus Christ had 12 disciples, isn't it? So let me ask you, what small group are you in here in the church? Where do you go where you're in the word of God? where you have true fellowship, where you're taking what you've learned and impart it to someone else, and there's that ironing, sharpening iron, where you're loving one another, where you're encouraging one another, where you are building unity among the church. Where do you go to do that? If you're not involved, I encourage you to get involved with a small group. Get somewhere where you're part of the body of Christ and make sure, parents, that you have your children and your young people engaged with you. Somewhere within the body of Christ. It's so important. You know, you can go online right now. You can go right online, and they'll show you. There's instructions right there. How to join a small group and how you can lead a small group. Encourage you to do that. Number three. Third thing. They were devoted. They, that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and the breaking of bread. What does that mean? It's talking about communion, the Lord's table. And we know that the Lord's table is there to help us to remember. Remember, Jesus died, he was resurrected, and he's going to return. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And there are three things that we are to remember when we come to communion. The first is remember what Jesus has done for us. And then we celebrate our salvation. We rejoice that we are all born again. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the first thing. It's a celebration. Second, it's there to promote unity. Jesus said, remember me. In other words, all of us are the body of Christ. And we all serve one Lord. One body, one head, serving one Lord. We're to be unified in what we do. Third thing is we're to keep short accounts with the Lord Jesus Christ. Short accounts with him and with each other. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. In other words, it's a time when we're to get right with God and with each other. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. Do you keep short accounts with Jesus every day? I mean, every day, are you asking God to forgive you, cleanse you, and be filled with the Spirit? Or did you just wait days upon days... And then you come to church and you think about your sin. I mean, do you know that, that we're to go they did daily asking God to forgive them, asking God to cleanse their hearts? And then, how about this? Is there anybody in here who has something against another brother and sister? That when they walk in the room, you want to walk out the other way. If you're doing that, if that's what's going on in your life right now, you're not keeping short accounts with God, you're holding a grudge with a brother and sister of some sort, what happens, I'll guarantee you, you are not experiencing a beautiful day in the neighborhood. No way. You know why? Because the Bible tells us that. It tells us that 
When you do not keep short accounts with the Lord, when you hold something against a brother and sister, what happens is you grieve the Holy Spirit. You grieve the Holy Spirit. When you, the, the only one that can live the Christian life is Jesus. Amen. You can't do it, I can't do it. You can't do it naturally. No way. The only way that you can live this Christian life is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To obey him. Let him live his life through you. That's the only way you can do it. And when you do that, what kind of fruit is bared in your life? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Peace. Patience. Kindness. All that begins to happen in your life. But when you don't keep short accounts with God, and you grieve the Holy Spirit, what happens? Then you begin to reap the fruit of the flesh. The old nature. And, the, and it tells us in the Bible, the fruit of the flesh is what? Anger, hatred, bitterness, jealousy, revenge, all that stuff goes on. Criticalness. And it goes on in your life, and next thing you know, you've got all kinds of problems in the home, in the neighborhood, in the church. Listen, I'll never forget this time I was living my life in such a way. As a matter of fact, I told my staff this week. I remember a time that I was as flat as I could be. I mean, it was unbelievable. I didn't sense the presence of God. I didn't sense the power of God in my life. And I was drinking this blueberry milkshake. And man, I love blueberry milkshakes. And I was drinking this thing up, and all of a sudden, a blueberry got stuck in the straw. And I couldn't get the stuff up anymore. That unbelievable taste. And I took that straw out, and I blew that blueberry out of that straw. I stuck it back into that milkshake, and I began to drink again. Oh man, did that taste good. And right then, the Lord spoke to me and said this, Ed, you know why you're not experiencing the presence and the power of God? Why you don't have patience? Why you're not kind? Why you're not, you know, a person that's nice to be around right now? It's because you haven't been regularly confessing sin with me. You're not keeping short accounts with me. And you're grieving the Spirit, and now it's like that sin is blocking the Spirit from really flowing into your life. You've got to blow out that sin... And allow the Spirit of God to take over again in your life. You know what I did? I got down on my knees. I asked the Lord to forgive me. And it was amazing. I'm not kidding you. Right then and all that week, it was like the power and the presence of God. It was like I could experience the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness all over again. And people, I remember walking into the office and people were saying, what happened to you, Pastor Glover? I said, man, I finally got right with God. And they all looked at me and said, what do you mean by that? I have not been keeping short accounts with Jesus, and I've been walking in the flesh. Thank God I'm walking in the Spirit. How about you? How about you? Where are you at? They created a beautiful neighborhood, man. Beautiful day to be in the neighborhood. It was wonderful. The love of God, the peace of God, the presence of God, the joy of Jesus Christ was manifested in them, in their homes, and in the neighborhood. And wherever they worked, and wherever they played. And God added to their number every day. Watch this. They not only were committed to great fellowship and communion to with one another, but they were committed to prayer. Look at it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. The church has always moved on its knees. Always. And it moves today on its knees, and it will move on its knees in the future. The question is, do you and I pray? 
Because the word of God is saying this in that word. The word literally means in our passage to pray, people praying individually as well as corporately. In other words, we're to pray to God on our own and with each other. Look what the scripture says over and over in the scriptures. It says this about personal prayer. First Thessalonians says this, rejoice always, praying without ceasing. Do you do that? Do you know that you do not have to bow your heads and close your eyes every time you pray? Do you know that? You can open it. The Bible says they, they, they turned their eyes to the hills, to the sky, to Jesus, and they prayed. They prayed with their eyes open. You know, when you're walking around, you're in a meeting, you're going to the doctor, you're going to do something in, in, in school, you're playing basketball, you can be praying. You can be talking to God anytime you are because he's with you. Every moment, any time of the day. Hey, Lord, what do you think about this? What do you think I should do on this one? Help me, Jesus, with this test. Oh, Lord, i got to make this sale today. God, help me as I go in. Help this person to give favor to me when I walk in this door today. Help my boss to see what I'm doing. You'll be amazed you start talking to God. What he will do for you and your family. But if you just come and pray over your meal and pray on Sunday, no wonder stuff doesn't happen. Right? The power is in our time of prayer. Listen, the battle is prayer. The spoils is the work. Let me say this. The verses here in the scriptures also tell us this. Over in Matthew chapter 18 it says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them. By my Father in heaven, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Listen, we all know these things. Most of us in this room know this stuff. We could quote these verses, but the question is, do we do it? I mean, seriously, do you pray to God? And are you gathering anywhere with anybody to pray? There's something about gathering with two or three people. You're having a hard time at work. You're having a hard time in your home. You're having a hard time in your marriage. Something about gathering together with the body of Christ that God does there that he doesn't do when you're alone. Two or three gathered in my name. Let me ask this. In this right here in the church, at 9.30 every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, over in the chapel, there's a group of people who pray for the church. And for you. You can join them. At 9 o'clock every first Saturday of every month, you can come to that chapel. There will be people there praying. Go online. Look at where you can gather together to pray. So these people were praying. They were having communion. They were fellowshipping together. They were devoted to God's word. And they created a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We can do the same. We can see greater things happening in our midst, in your homes, in your marriages, in the workplace, at the schools, in our community, in the city, and right here in this church. That can happen. It can happen. I don't want to talk so much about Urban Impact right now, but Urban Impact right now, we're experiencing unbelievable miracles. We had a whole month where we consecrated ourselves to prayer and fasting. And we're seeing unbelievable things breaking loose in the midst of people's lives. It's amazing when you do what God tells you to do. We are the body of Christ. We need to lock arms. We need to believe this stuff. Now look it. Let me just stop right here. Stop, I'm, I'm going to just stop. Look. I know that God gave me a gift to motivate. I can motivate you. This isn't a performance. 
This isn't about being at some theater and watching some guy run around screaming and yelling and getting you all motivated. This is no seminar. This is a moment for you as a family, as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a kid, a young person, to break loose in your life, to break loose in your family. So now I'm going to go back and preach this last thing, and I want you to just, just forget about, I mean, try to hear from Jesus. You ready? Watch this. We've been doing phases, phases in life. How's this work? I want to talk to you as dads, all the men in the room. You and I, what God calls us to be is the spiritual leader of our home. You will stand before the Lord God. And you will be accountable to whether or not you were the spiritual leader of your home. Just like I will. And when we stand there before God, listen, the church is there to help you and your wife is there to help you. But you can't pass that responsibility on to somebody else. That's yours. Look at the scriptures. Moms, women, you are there to support your man, your husband. You're there to support him, pray for him, care for him, and disciple your kids together as a couple. I ask you this question. Where in your home during the week do you open up the word of God together? That you pray together? That you make it an effort to be here when we have communion? Where you're involved in some type of ministry? Where you're engaging in the church? If you're not doing that, you're not creating a beautiful neighborhood. It won't happen. But if you do, it'll be amazing. Now, those of you that have high school students, those of you that will have high school students, let me say something to you. People come to me often and say, Pastor Ed, how in the world did you have four kids... You lived in the hood, high-risk environment, all your, all your years, and all your kids are walking with the Lord. All of them are in ministry. All of them married these godly women. Listen, Tammy and I are one messed-up couple. <laughs> we have made mistakes after mistakes after mistakes. But the only two things we really did right was this. You ready? We lived out our faith in our home. We didn't just come to church. We actually lived it out in our household. We lived it out. And second thing we did is we got involved in the church. And we brought our kids into the church. We got them involved in our ministry. They were always involved. And why is that so important for high school students? Listen, I've been working with high school students for 31 years. What I understood was this. That the only, what's going to happen is those students are going to grow up. And then they're going to leave me and Tammy. We're building them up to release them. They're going to become, sooner or later, independent of us. And when they get into their teenage years, they're growing up. And they're going to become independent. They're not so much going to come back and say, hey, mom and dad, what do you have to say? What do you think? And if I'm doing a, if I'm doing a good job as a parent, it's not about what I do for, for my kids. It's what I teach my kids. Am I teaching my kids to get up and leave and so that someday they'll have a family and they'll be a, pa- a family of faith? So you want them to begin to go out. You want them to go out and ask other people what they think. But here's the problem. Because they're going to. Regardless of what you do, what you say, they're going to go out and ask other people what they think. But if you never engage them in the church, 
If they don't build relationships with significant adults in the church, guess where they're going to go? They're going to go outside the church because that's their relationships. And when they go outside the church, what are they going to tell them? Let me tell you what happens. 400,000 churches in America. This is what Barna tells us. 400,000 churches, 85% of them are dying or, decl- are dying or stagnant. That means only 15% of the churches are growing. But he says over 10% of those churches are growing because of transform- trans- transfer growth. People are leaving one church, going to another church. So there's less than 5% of the church today is growing because of conversions. So I ask you this question. Is the American church making disciples that make disciples? Say it. Say it. So how does this change? By us doing what this word God says right here, this word. Going out, being intentional. Men, be spiritual leaders. Ladies, raise your kids. Train them up. Get disciples around them. Get them involved in the church so that they can meet other people of significant people in their lives that believe the way you believe. What happened to my kids is they grew up and they wanted to get out. And where did they go? They went right here to Christ Church. Because I had rela- they had relationships with you. Many of you, when I'm looking at you tonight, today, I'm looking at you and I know that you made an impact on my kids' life. Pastors and people in this, in this room actually spend time with my sons and my daughters. And when they talked to them about what they should do, they guided them through the word of God. My kids didn't run off into their base, baseball practices or, or music lessons with some Christ, non-Christian kid or non-Christian person and ask them what they think I should do. They went to you. And I thank God for that. So look. If you get your kids involved and you build significant relationships with each other, when they come to you, look at me, when they come to you, don't give them your opinion. Teach them the word of God. Teach them. Because moms and dads in this room are counting on you. Counting on you. I think we start doing that. Here's the deal. 59 to 85% of young people today, when they leave the church, graduate from high school, they leave the church. 59 to 85%, I don't know what the number is, but it's at least one out of two. We got to stop the back door, everybody. We got to start getting involved. We got to start figuring out how we're going to disciple one another. And we got to start getting involved with each other. We do that. We'll create a beautiful place in the neighborhood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. And I thank you for your people. And I ask, Lord Jesus, right now, that you would minister to us and through us. And we'll continue to be on your mission. We'll continue to, to carry out the two great commandments. Love God. Love our, love our neighbor. And Lord, I pray that we and our children and our children's children will be people of the book. They will be people of prayer. They will be people who are unified and focused on you. And they'll be people who have great fellowship. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.